0: This episode of Radcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings.
1: Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ragcast Outdoors. I'm Patrick Edwards. I'm David Merrill and I might have been telling jokes before the podcast (laughs) and they were funny, but they might not make it on the podcast. It's still funny. (laughs) It's very funny. So hello and welcome everybody. We are here in the studios. It's it's good to be back. It feels great.
0: It is good. And David and I had a fun last week and we're going to talk a little bit about that because we put on a few miles on our feet, but we also had a lot of fun and Got to hunt. He actually drug me out hunting in very interesting conditions both times both for times. very different things. And so we'll talk about those. But first, I want to start off the podcast by saying it's ice fishing season.
1: 100%. It is ice fishing season. And if you haven't heard about PK lures and you don't ice fish, you know, just turn the podcast off right now and go, go do some crocheting or knitting or badminton because <laughs> you're in the wrong place. I got to tell you guys, there is a video out there right now. If you go
0: to PK Lure's Facebook page, Instagram, there's this kid. He caught this really nice, big, fat walleye on that new PK Ridge Rattler crankbait. It's a lipless crankbait that you can jig through the ice. And I mean, he caught this absolute monster. So you got to go check that out. It's really cool. And you can get those at PKLure.com. I'm going to have to try it now because I haven't used those through the ice yet. I've been using them in open water. They catch walleye in open water, bass, trout, anything that you really want to get. But through the ice, apparently they're pretty deadly
1: too. So just remember on ice, safety is number one. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's less than two inches, don't walk on it. If it's not four inches, don't put your ATV on it. And if you don't have a solid foot, Get your truck off there. You're gonna you're gonna go swim in any one of those situations.
0: I can tell you, right here in Fremont County, we're probably gonna have two feet of ice here after this next cold front comes oh, through because they're oh. they're saying our highs here soon are gonna be the high was gonna be what negative fifteen, negative twenty. The high,
1: <laughs> so we're gonna make some ice. Dude, we're going to make some great ice. on. So. Take, take the pickup with the camper right out behind it and just,
0: <laughs> just stay right out there. Yeah, we're going to need something. But yeah, go to PKLure.com. You can get all the awesome things that they offer. The Flutterfish PK pk Lure itself. Um, those also have made like the Angling Buzz's top ice fishing lures uh, list this year. They've made in Fisherman's greatest ice fishing lures of all time. Top, I think they were number two and number three.
1: So, so, what Patrick is saying, have one of those in your tackle box. And if you're confused on colors, get two of each for sure. But <laughs> definitely, you don't want to be without a red dot glow 100%. Got to have a red dot glow. And then, if you're going to get one
0: of the plated ones, I'm a huge fan of the gold plate. So, um, I mean, I've caught them on copper and nickel too, but that gold plate is really good in so the summer
1: and winter. There you go. David says a red dot glow, and Patrick says a, a plated. A gold plated and the fire tiger glow you gotta oh, have that one yeah that that wrote that one's
0: been pretty good in open water in everything yes so. it works but today we're going to talk about late season cow elk hunting in wyoming and we're going to talk about a little bit of pheasant hunting too late season as well because we are <laughs>
1: towards the very end oh. of this season patrick and i drug it out to the uh pretty much Right to the nitty-gritty to the end. I had trade shows, so I was gone for two weeks, and then we had family for Thanksgiving. We kept saying, oh, it's you know, we both, uh, I, I twisted Patrick's arm and got him to put in for a late season cow. I'm like, we can go get you a cow. And it was kind of self-serving Patrick. That way I didn't have to drag you around during bull elk season.
0: Oh man. I can tell you guys just being around horses, the little bit that I was on the cow elk, hunt I don't know how long I would last on a full, like three or four day, five day, six day hunt with, with horses, just cause I'm deathly allergic. But to his point, the season opened what November 15th ended December 15th and we pushed it until December 12th. I think <laughs> it was <laughs> it when we was I harvested first day mine we went out and yes. you harvested yours. So it's like, you know, we pushed it to the very end, but it's, we just have busy schedules. We've been traveling. It's been, it's been crazy, but I'm really glad that David talked me into doing it. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later and the different reasons. But we went on a Monday. I took the day off. David's like, let's go. He had his horse trailer. When I got here, he was getting the horses, which didn't want to cooperate because they knew they were going to have to go work, but we got, got a couple of horses and loaded them in the trailer and the ATV and we headed down the
1: road. Yeah, I could have been a little more prepared and had corralled the horses up the night before. But, but you just got back from Vegas. I got back from, from Vegas Sunday night and we <laughs> went out Monday morning and I could have been like, yeah, I need to go corral them. But I, I figured typically they, they like to hang out in water and, you know, I've got loathing sheds up here on the front of the property. And then the very, very far end now that it's uh, frozen, I let them onto my hay field. And we, what I do here in Wyoming is we get the first cutting off, we bale it grow the second cutting, let it stand until the ground freezes, and then I just feed it on the field standing. We don't cut it, don't have to. So that that works pretty good, but again, the horses when I got up at 4:30 in the morning to get ready were at the other end of the property. So,
0: yeah, so we got them corralled though, and we headed down the road and you know, it was a beautiful day when we started. I, I know we pulled in and you could tell
1: and we knew of the forecast like it was going to snow <laughs> just, just say it was going it was going to happen the biggest thing with hunting is you do need to watch the weather you need to be prepared i mean fire starter for sure safety is again i i'm i harped on it about the ice I'll harp on it but it's the things that you don't know will kill you and for sure you know if we were been gone up there in jeans and a cotton t-shirt and been like oh it's a sunny nice day and not check the weather it was nice when we started out it was It was a somewhat cold, but it was was chilly, but it wasn't bad. Like
0: sun was out fairly blue sky, but you could see the snowstorm on its approach. I mean, where we were hunting, you could, you could see for miles so we could see it coming and it was fine. It was no big deal. We got out on the ATV. David's like, let's go do some glassing. He knew a spot where we could get to some high ground. So we went up and we surveyed the landscape and it wasn't long and you spotted a whole bunch of elk, didn't you?
1: Yeah. Knowing the country and knowing the terrain is kind of half the battle. You know, going into a new area and a new spot, my biggest piece of advice is the elk utilize about 10% of their habitat. So you need to quickly go through 90% of it looking for tracks, looking for sign, looking for evidence, right? And you can do some e-scouting where you can look at where is those roadless areas? Where is the shelter belts where just like pheasants, just like trout, just like anything, they're going to respond to pressure and go where the pressure isn't, right? I mean, I think of fish in a reservoir, if you can Mm -hmm. get some structure where those fish can hold up and get A, out of the currents, and B, you know, have some protection, that's where they're going to be, right? On Mm -hmm. a point, on an outcropping. Pheasants the same way, they're they're not going to be in the middle of a cut cornfield, they're going to be in some good thick cattails somewhere where especially this time of late season pheasants, they're, they're going to be on private land in the good thick <laughs> cattails, right? But same yeah. thing with elk, is you need to quickly go through a lot of ground to kind of find and <laughs> case in point with these elk, once we found them, you harvested yours and then I went and harvested mine and they were still there after I left. Mm-hmm. Because they knew that if they went anywhere else, that there was 20 ATVs, not just you and I so. yeah and that's another point is we were not road hunting
0: like there were a lot of road hunters out there right guys in their pickups guys in their ATVs we simply took the ATV up to go see if we could spot them right and once we identified where they were at and then I was like okay now it's game plan time and let's go after them and so David spotted a, a pretty decent sized herd and so we went back down to the horse trailer, got the horses, got our gear,
1: got everything ready to go, and headed up, headed uphill. <laughs> I, I on it after we got home, and we ended up being just around six miles and only 2,000 feet elevation. But it was negative, negative when we loaded the horses here at the house and left. So I don't know. I think it got positive once the sun came up. We might have been around ten, fifteen degrees. Mm-hmm. That snowstorm come in and it dropped back cold again. Like, I mean, my face froze. We had icicles hanging off my face. So when that's happening, it's it's minus. I I'm fine with the <laughs> the thermometer as long as there's a plus sign in front of the, the number. <laughs> right when there's that minus sign, Patrick, that gets brutal quick. So one thing I'd say is when you you do get successful. It's nice to get your hands warm when you're butchering, but if you get them wet and even with blood, they get cold, right? So Mm -hmm. earlier in the year, I typically don't wear rubber gloves and don't have a problem, but I make sure in part of my kill kit that I have rubber gloves. One thing Patrick got to learn is how to quick quarter. Mm -hmm. And I've found on these late season cows that if you skin them and then quarter them and then put them in game bag and then put them in the panyards and then throw them in the pack room or throw them in the truck by the time you get home it's froze solid if you leave the hide on especially you really want to make sure there's snow on the ground when you do this right because you can leave the hide on quick quarter them toss them in the snow toss them in the back of the truck get home and then put it on the table and it i have what i do at our house is i have two tables right two folding card tables put them in the shop i'll put a dirty quarter quote-unquote dirty one with hair on it on one skin it and the meat's not frozen yet right the mm-hmm. the hide's starting to freeze and the ends starting to freeze but you can at least get it boned trying to bone <laughs> a, an ice cube <laughs> it's not easy <laughs> and and i'll be honest with you you know we were we weren't struggling but i didn't want to spend any any we we stayed moving enough you know we would stock in and stock over a ridge and we were trying to get closer and closer and we finally got, what, 90 yards away when we took the shot? Or less. I'm I'm thinking it was less. It was pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> the, the biggest frustration I had is, you know, we ranged them at 595, and then we dropped down, and that's way too far for either Patrick or I to shoot. I'm not shooting that far. And when we – and what I did a lot is I do something called a backcountry hitch. So I tie one horse to the other horse, you know, front to rear, front to rear. And so the horses. Because there's nothing where we're hunting there to tie to. I mean, the sagebrush is ankle high. So you could bring hobbles, but if you've got a really good horse, he can he can go faster in hobbles than you can run. And there's some spots where we're going in there that I don't want my horses going down because we're going to have to bring them back up. So if you do what's called backcountry hitch, and if you guys want to Google it and look at it, you just tie in, you know, you have your two horses tied together or your three, and you just take that lead rope and tie it to the back of the string. And then all they can do is go in circles. Mm-hmm. They can't get away from you if they're going in circles. They can still cover country. As we found out, I think Patrick and I, <laughs> he said they're right here. So I tied them together for the seventh or eighth time, you know, because we <laughs> kept moving with this herd. Oh my goodness. And the snow was, it was infuriating. My rangefinder would not work. So it's funny, David says, you know, we ranged them at 595
0: we dropped down into a cut and then came around and tried to range him again and we, we got up. Set we were, up
1: we were at least a third closer if not fifty percent closer and
0: you couldn't see and the rangefinder was saying it was seven yards because the snow was just coming down and i mean those we got four inches of snow in about an hour and a half yeah, it just did it, not quit. I'll put it to you this way. As we were getting closer to the elk, they had just been there minutes before we went over that ground. And once we got to that ground, it was covered.
1: The you tracks couldn't even were completely tell,
0: filled in. Yep. Yeah, you couldn't even tell that the elk had been there. And that, I mean, it was insane how quickly it was coming down, how heavy it was coming down. But it, it was neat because we had the wind in our favor, which was saved our butts I think Big really time. because oh, yeah.
1: we could smell them the we whole could time.
0: smell them we could hear them mewing at each other making their sounds you know those cows were talking see past about
1: 150 200 but yeah yards. and
0: even that one we had that approach where I mean we we dropped down we set up for a shot
1: and then the snow came in so hard we couldn't see again oh that it was, was like, so frustrating oh my gosh they they were, we, right were, there. we were on the ridge <laughs> and they were all on the face of a whole nother and it just the whole hill disappeared and I mean, yeah. we were ready and if we just needed oh, was totally ready and it was 220 240 maybe. yards maybe yeah. i mean it wasn't and so finally we we went on the same side that they were on and crested the top and they were up on this big flat we're up there and they had turned around and started feeding the other direction because they would kind of, I mean, they covered about a mile and a half while we were doing all these stocks. and right. So they had found their spot that they were going to stay for the night. And what's interesting is Patrick and I, we got that first one harvested and they moved 800 yards down the ridge and we dropped off the mountain a little bit and the snow quit. Mm. I mean, remember we could see, Yeah. we got back to the truck, it started snowing again, but there was a hour or two hour break early afternoon and i thought really hard about going and getting another one i actually marked them on the onyx right there and the next morning i grabbed another good friend of mine mr steve sullivan i he was off work and i called him and said hey i gotta go kill an elk you coming (laughs) and the sad part about that patrick is you and i had a relatively painless experience right relatively yeah i mean we had the horses 10 yards behind us when we shot and they, they weren't too happy about that, but they, they, they did all the work <laughs> and they we did all the work. We walked them right up there and quartered the, your elk and tossed it in the panyards. And we walked out of there and it was, I will say it was a, uh, you know, that little over six miles. And that was there. There's a reason nobody else is in there doing that. Cause it, at those temperatures, it was good exercise too. I'll tell you, cause like some of that ground
0: is pretty rough. Like, even for the horses. I mean, it's super rocky and some of it is just not ideal for walking <laughs>
1: period. It looks relatively cause there's no trees, right? It looks, it looks easy. easy. Yeah. You're if like, you look at it on, on, on X, it's like, Oh, this is easy stuff. And then you get there and you're like, Hmm, that doesn't <laughs> look so easy. Now <laughs> the thing to remember is walking in that snow is like walking in sand. It, it yeah. really, so
0: especially that because it was just so cold that it was like sand. I mean, it wasn't, the kind of snow that you could actually pack down and make into something but what I thought was really cool is you know we had multiple attempts to get to where we could make a shot and it just wasn't working out either snow whatever the condition we just couldn't couldn't get it kept after it persistence pays off right so I'm I'm coming up David's behind me with the two horses we're coming up this hill and I look and they're right there and I mean, clear as day, I can see them. I'm like, okay. And I look back at David
1: and I'm like, they're right here. I can you know? still remember your the excitement on your face of they're right here. Yeah, I mean, it's, it wasn't, it wasn't no more need to, Hey, how far is it? Where's the range find? They are right here and they're coming at us at yep. this point. So,
0: and I shot a real big cow. You She's did a gorgeous cow. And, uh, you know, and it was a clean shot too, right? Like, and that, and that was another nice thing is that the meat didn't get ruined, which was a big deal to me. And I'll, I'll get into that in a second, but like I wanted to get as much meat as I could on this particular trip. And so the cow went down right where she stood and, you know, David and I went up and, um, he showed me the quick quarter process, which was really cool. Cause it's, it's kind of similar to a quarter process that I'd done, except for, obviously it's a gutless method where, you know, you're, you're you're leaving all those entrails, all that stuff unexposed, which is pretty nice. And he showed me how to get the tenderloins out, which was really neat. And so that was a cool learning experience for me, but I'll tell you that elk meant a lot to me for a couple of reasons. One, I just haven't hunted hard or hunted much in years, but then also uh, one of my buddies, um, he had lost his wife in a car accident um, and and he's raising his three kids on his own. And I had told myself, I'm like, if I get this elk, I want to give him most of the meat to help him out. And so like it, like every failed stock, I was like, ah, it was frustrating, right? Like I, I got to get this done. Like I had the one day off and that's the only day I can get three days of season left. Exactly. So I was like, got to get this done. Got to get this done. And when I set up for that shot, I was like, this cow is going down on this shot and i mean i was zoned in and it worked out perfect i mean she she dropped right where she was at so it, well, you made it a great good. shot free hand
1: probably 70 yards but still free close it was, close.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it it was, was a, big a close count. shot
1: i was like you're done but as far as shot placement i mean it was a little bit high but not extremely high and right. it it took out you know it was right behind Those the shoulder lungs. where it should have been yep. it did lungs and then it did a little bit of spine damage and i mean it, it dropped her it right there so yeah.
0: And the back straps were in great shape. So I didn't mess those up. So that was cool. And didn't hit either shoulder. Yeah. So. so, I mean, it was great. I got a, a ton of meat off of that elk. So when we, well, we got to tell the rest of that story. So we packed these quarters on the horses, get down and we're like, man, this is great. This is no big deal. We load everything into the truck and get the horses into the trailer, get the four wheeler back in the trailer And then the roads on the way home were something else. I mean, you talk about nasty roads. We had a pretty perilous drive home
1: because it was slick. Well, that, that night, the whole state of Wyoming got shut down with red roads. No travel, not, not change mandatory travel. Like it was, no, it was the roads were shut. The gates were cut shut. I mean, you weren't going and I've, I'm, you know, lived in Alaska and got my CDL and I, I would like to say that I can drive, right? I'm, I did 50,000 miles in the Suburban last year all over the place. <laughs> you know, weather conditions and roads don't bother me, but I'll tell you what, that horse trailer was, we were fishtailing all over the place. It we pulled nasty. out on the main highway, and I've, it was, we did like 40 miles an hour on a 75-mile road, and it was white knuckle the whole time, and I had it in four-wheel drive, and there was a couple times going up some hills that, the trailer started pulling the truck back down sideways. And I'm like, look at it, Patrick, like uh, we might have to get out and push or <laughs> hitch the horses up to pull up and get home. And we, we got almost a foot foot of snow that night here at the yeah. house. Yeah. Dave and I were talking and I was like, are you in a hurry to get home? Nope. Are you in
0: a hurry? Nope. I just want to get there alive. <laughs> and so we were we were more concerned about keeping all the tires on the road and keeping us and the horses safe, because it was just it was gnarly. and there were people that were wanting to pass and go fast, and that was fine. They could do whatever they wanted. but Dave and I were just gonna take our time and we and and we made it back safe. So that was the biggest thing. And then I got home and i I hung up the quarters in my shop and uh, it was cold enough that night that by the next morning when I went out to skin them, the hocks were frozen and around the edges. But to your point, all the bigger muscles were just fine. Yep. Like it was no big deal. So I took and skinned all that out and um, had my oldest daughter help me. And I taught her a little bit about skinning, which was really cool. And so she got to participate in that. And one of my goals this year was to really get the kids involved with the processing element of it um the last time i had gone and harvested something i killed nail up and those don't take long at all right it's just not a lot there it's usually warmer season and you're you're getting it you you gotta hurry yeah so these you know i kind of took my time we did um one night we did a front quarter and the next night we did all the like skirt steak and uh, back straps and all that you know, auxiliary meat, I guess you could say we got all that packaged and put away. And then, um, we did another quarter, another night. And then we did the last two quarters on Saturday and it was a lot of fun. Cause the kids, they learned, you know, knife skills, which I think you should teach every kid is how to cut without cutting themselves, uh, teaching them how to clean off, you know, sinew and, fat and other connective tissues that maybe you don't want on your meat and make it look really nice and presentable showing them how to use a grinder safely. And then we took high mountain seasonings. So we're going to dovetail into that. I got some of those uh, pepperoni sticks and cracked black pepper and garlic stick kits. And we made a whole bunch of snack sticks. And I mean, those things were delicious and it was easy to do. I mean, you do need something to stuff them with because I mean, you're shooting, a product into the casings but it was really pretty easy and high mountain jerky if you guys haven't tried it <laughs> you're really missing out high mountain seasonings makes it really easy for you they have all the instructions you just follow it point by point we did four four pound batches so i did two four pound pa- batches of the pepperoni sticks and then a four pound batch of the cracked pepper and, garlic. and then what we did is, you know, smoked them in the smoker and cooked them all the way through, and then I cut them up into I don't know, probably four inch lengths, you know, four inch long lengths, and then put like four or five of them in a vacuum seal package. Made a whole bunch of them, um, so you know it it's gonna it's gonna make some people really happy when they get to partake in that. But it was it was a lot of fun to make, and the kids had a blast.
1: So if you're out there and you're wondering about, you know charcuterie of any kind I would highly recommend starting with you know snack sticks for sure and there's kind of three choices and there's more than that but high mountain seasonings does have a jerky shooter gun that yep. has a nozzle that will you know put casings on and they, you can order casings right from them and it's p- to Patrick's point it's it's really simple guys you take ground meat you mix it with the seasonings and proportions on the instructions two pounds at a time is what they recommend and then you're gonna you are going to put that meat in something. I mean, my, uh, my meat grinder has a attachment. So we grind the meat That's once what we did too. Then yeah. you mix it by hand with, and you can even get a non hand mixer. But right now we just, you want to have the meat a little cold. You add a little water. You mix the seasonings. I bought big Ellie and limb totes. Cause we do a lot of meat at a time, cover that, throw it in the fridge for 24 hours. And then you take and regrind it, but you're not grinding at this point in time. You put Stuff the stuffing. In it. Yeah. And that's stuffing, that casing's what, 40 feet long or whatever, 20 feet long. And so you can make those at any length you want. I'd recommend making them an inch or two shy of either your smoker or your oven, right? Yep. And what we do is we just have a little pellet smoker. I put it in there for about an hour on uh, aluminum trays, you know, just cookie sheets. Mm-hmm. And then once you got that good smoke flavor, because my smoker... A it burns a lot of pellets, and B, it's kind of uneven heat, right? You've got hot and cold spots in there. And when you completely stuff it full of 10 pounds of I have to do <laughs> about two two loads, but I put it in the oven at about 225 to just get it cooked all the way thoroughly. But then you still have mm-hmm. that smoke flavor. And then you cut it up and either package it in Ziploc bags and give it away or vacuum seal it or how you know butcher paper, whatever you want to do. But it if you guys are out there and you want to try something fun with the kids and it's, it's, it's really not that hard. And when you're done, you get to, it's a great product
0: and kids love it. They're really proud of it when they're done. You know, it's like one of the coolest things are like, I made that jerk here. I made that snack stick that gives them a lot of pride. I remember being a little kid cause we talk about elk hunting. It has some nostalgia for me because my dad used to go up into the Hoback up around Jackson and they would take pack horses in, every year and go out cutting and you know, harvest elk and bring it home. And I started as the kid who was either helping with the packaging or the grinding of the meat. Then I moved up to cutting, you know, skinning, doing all that stuff. And so I learned from about five years old on how to do all that stuff. And now I'm teaching all four of my kids the exact same thing, which is really cool for me. Like it was neat watching them pick up those skills and seeing, like my daughter Katie, figuring out how to, you know, remove, you know, the, the different connective tissues, Ben doing it, you know, without cutting his arm off, which was amazing.
1: Uh, but it was a lot of fun. And, and and the thing to remember when you're butchering your own animal at home, you can't really mess it up. The right? animal's already dead. Yeah, you might not have as pretty presenting stakes, and you might be a way slower than somebody who's had lots of carcasses of experience but you can't go wrong and watch a couple YouTube videos, you know, go check out the gutless method and boning is not, it's not hard. It's skinning and boning is not hard. The hard part is carrying those heavy quarters. And that's why we took horses. Yeah.
0: And I do want to say a quick shout out to Seth Ewing because he bought that buck buck moose by Hank Shaw. If you want to go back and listen to that podcast, he's told me to try out pastrami, elk pastrami. So I took a couple of the bigger, I guess it'd be whole muscle sections of one of the hindquarters, and I took that recipe and I packed it in the seasoning. So basically, you're you're packing pepper and garlic and thyme and oh, there's another spice that I can't remember. But anyway, you you grind all those up and kosher salt and cure, and you pack it onto the meat onto the outside of the muscle, and then you put it in a in a ziploc bag in the fridge and leave it in there for five to seven days so that it sucks the moisture out and infuses all that flavor. Then you take that and you rinse it, put it back into the fridge, let it dry, and then smoke it until it's cooked. And you have delicious whole meat pastrami. So then you just get your meat slicer out and, you know, you slice your, your lunch meat, but Um, I'm really excited about it, man. It's, it's in the fridge right now. And I am like, "Mm, how many days has it been? I can't wait to try this, but it's just so much more fun when you're doing that. And cow elk are great for that, especially late season, right? The temperature is ideal right now as opposed to September. So you have a little bit more time to process and you can have fun with it, right? You can say, I think I'm going to make some pastramis with some of those bigger mussels, or I'm going to, I'm going to make snack sticks over the weekend,
1: or I'm going to make whatever. I mean, the the options are endless. So, I mean, get you a knife and start. And yeah, we've talked about some nice equipment, you know, a meat slicer, a meat grinder, a sausage stuffer, a casing stuffer, maybe even, you know, I've seen, they've got meat mixers that go on the front of your grinder that you can, Mm -hmm. you know, and. I still do that by hand because I, I got kids and here, get your cold heads in there. they, they kinda, It's cold. I'm like, well, it's got to be mixed. Keep going. Yeah. But you can start out with literally just a knife and some butcher paper. Yep. And then you can expand from there. So I would really challenge anybody out there listening that hasn't decided to butcher their own carcasses. And if you haven't even decided to go hunting, I'd, I'd challenge you to... to pick up a pick up a a weapon and get proficient and get your first tag and go out on a doe hunt or a cow hunt because success rates are high and lean clean protein is I mean we had chili two nights ago and last night I did a big elk roast stew with onions celery carrots potatoes I mushrooms that was good. oh it's so I had chili for breakfast and I had <laughs> stew for lunch today and you know what it was just fine yeah we made I think
0: it was. The first or second night after I'd ground some up, we made some red chili. That was awesome. And we've had tacos with it already. I mean, it's it's really
1: good. It's better than anything you're going to buy at your local grocery store. I can tell you that much. The The biggest trick with wild game, for sure, you don't have any marbled fat. You don't have any of that saturated fat in the meat. It's cure, pure, clean, lean protein. So cook it low and slow. And yeah. You know, don't dry. Just don't dry it out. You don't. You don't got to kill it. It's not. Yeah. It's not pork. It doesn't got to be one hundred ninety-five thousand degrees and sizzled. You just got to kind of sear the outside, and a little red in the middle is just fine.
0: Yeah, it's not going to hurt you as long as you took good care of it, right? Like, that's, oh yeah. that's the biggest thing. But I want to switch over. So we we got my elk out. Mm-hmm. Then you went in with
1: Steve, and you guys. You know, we had all that snow and we had all that horrible road conditions. And so I'm sitting here looking at a a foot of snow at the house and Steve has a nice new brand new sled Polaris RMK 850. I'm not a sled guy and I haven't (laughs) been on one for two decades, but they're fun. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, you know, if we got that much snow here, I'm like, we should have enough that because it was borderline of I definitely wasn't going to drive the truck and horse trailer any further. It was pull it to the trailhead. But we buzzed around a couple spots on the quad that were, you know, we were four to six inches of snow before it started snowing. And then it snowed another four inches. So they had, you know, I don't know, eight, ten inches of snow when we left. They didn't get any more snow. And that wasn't I was hoping we got a foot here at the house after we got home. So I was like, you know, if there's. 12 to 20 inches of snow up there. We'll just buzz around on the sled and find them, park it, hike a mile or two, go shoot one, and then we'll go hook onto it with the sled and drag it back to the truck. Well, those elk were 300 yards away from where we left them, which was, you know, I don't know, what, a mile and a half from the the truck or from the road. road. But there wasn't an inch more of snow up there. So the sled was completely worthless, and I've left the horses here at the house. (laughs) (laughs) So... Uh, Steve and I just said you know what we're just going to go see if we can get one on the ground then we'll worry about it and worst case scenario say it was three miles in knee-deep snow I would have quick quartered it thrown the quarters on the snow and come back up the next day with the horses and you know I would have hauled a load in my backpack and got another load but we quickly got my elk and we had uh, two or three false ridges I I snuck around the backside popped over the top thinking elk would be 200 yards away laying in front of me and i'd look oh there's another ridge between us so Mm we go around another one i pop up and oh there's one more ridge between us you just there's so many little false crags and draws in there so we finally i knew where the main herd was that we'd left and we were creeping up over this ridge and it was going to be 250 yards on onyx is what it was going to be I get to the top of the ridge, and there's half a dozen of them laying on the ridge. We're on at about 90 <laughs> yards again. That's perfect. It was perfect. I uh, I quickly uh, put a couple rounds downrange. They all connected. Unfortunately, one went. It hit kind of the elbow on the front shoulder, mm. and then went into the ribs. Well, that bullet fragmented on the rib, and so that far short shoulder had a little bit bigger hole through it than I'd like. I I like you know if you can get nice close shots and you can pick your shots. And I thought about doing a, a different shot there that is very lethal, but I decided it was cold enough because it was colder than when you and I were up there. I'm sure that I went for the the lethal quick shot. So I have a lit one shoulder that got a little bit of bloodshot and hole in it. It's not, not the end of the world. Maybe lost three pounds of meat, two pounds of meat. So, but here my cow is down at, your cow was down at noon and we had it cut up by one. We were loaded up and down to the truck by about two, two 30. I think we made it home about four thirty, no, maybe five. I think it was like five. Yeah, it was, it was a, an hour drive. Should it, what well, should have been an hour drive took us a little over two and a half. It was all. And so that's why I opted to not take the horses and the trailer oh. and the truck. Cause I did not enjoy that drive. I was <laughs> not looking forward to the, going hunting again was great, but the drive, I was like, ah, that,
0: that drive had a high pucker factor.
1: It was, it was not enjoyable. So what I found though, is I killed those elk right where we left them, but there was a pretty good drainage 80 yards below. And so Steve and I each took backstrap neck meat and front shoulder and put it in our kafaru's. Mm-hmm. And then we took our belts off, wrapped it around the hind quarter, held onto the belt, right? You got about a two-foot lead. And we got right in the creek, and it's not a flowing creek. It's a dry creek, and it's dry probably year after year after year. It only gets a, you know, once every 10-year seasonal flood. But that creek was like a smooth little gravel path with four inches of snow in it, and those quarters with the hair on it drug easier than in a sled so he's got you know about an 80 pound backpack with another 80 pound quarter behind him and i got a 80 pound backpack with approximately 80 pound quarter you know and we left the hoof on we left the hide Mm -hmm. on and it took us 32 minutes from the carcass to the truck it was a little you know there was a couple waterfalls in there that we had to slide the quarter down and hike up and around 50 yards and then get back in the creek and because it was a eight to 10 12 foot drop off i wasn't jumping down there and i wasn't carrying the quarter up and around it but we got there we got it loaded up and unfortunately mine's still waiting to be cut up because like i said it, it was it was uh yeah brutal cold i mean it was i think we saw minus 15 that day so
0: yeah and it's it's gonna get colder but Speaking of negative temperatures. So then later on in the week, early uh, in the morning,
1: two days later. Yeah.
0: We were like, you know, we should go do some late season pheasant hunting. Cause here in Wyoming, you can hunt private land up until the end of December for pheasants. And I have a friend, Tim, that was like, yeah, you guys can come out and hunt. That's no big deal. So, <laughs> so I was like, well, let's do it. Well, we get up and I don't know. I know at my house it was, it was pretty cold, but what was it? The temperature when you left
1: yours. It was minus 19.
0: Minus 19. And I think when we got to
1: the spot where we started hunting, it was like minus 10, yeah, minus it 12. Yeah, was minus 7, minus 9. It, it was cold. It wasn't no longer minus 20, but we got there about a half hour before shoot legal, legal shooting light. And, mm-hmm. You know, I have just a black lab, but she's, a, she's pretty tuned up to old pheasants. She likes to do that. Ducks is, we took her on that duck hunt, and she's, She's all right, but she's tuned up to flushed pheasants is, is her gig. So, Yeah,
0: we hunted a initial spot, some cattails, and they were holding tight because oh. it was cold and there was a lot of snow. And sure enough, one was right there, you know, pretty tight to us and came popping out and shot that one. And Ruby went and found it, no problem, and brought it back to us. And then we started to... Literally, like our faces were froze up, like it, there's some pictures on our socials of David and I. We had very frosty
1: faces it was It was quite cold, all of our breath was freezing to our faces. The hard part with either either hunt late season is you have a tendency to want to put on you know your almost electrified vests and extra oh, large yeah. puffies and and huge bibs and that's great until you start trying to hike in six inches or we were in a almost a foot of snow oh yeah it was deep and we did the majority of his property i mean we did probably a, a two mile hike chasing mm-hmm. pheasants through waist-high cattails and you know it wasn't quite knee-deep snow but it was calf deep for sure a couple drifts were deeper than that but yeah so i mean you got to run that balance of and 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 I'll go all the way back to like episode one with Buck Tilton of Dress Like an Onion, right? I think I had, I only had three layers on the bottom and I had seven layers up top. And, you know, as that sun come up, it warmed up and I kind of unzipped a few layers and got a little, little less insulation factor. But the one thing that I always struggle with is hands and feet. Yep. And it's trying to shoot a shotgun and keep your hands gloved. And then, oh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a battle for sure. So, you know, good gear makes it uh, a little more enjoyable. I have a uh, beaver fur hat. You might guys might find a photo and check it out, but I'll tell you, I bought that when I lived in Alaska. Ten years ago, when 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 there's a minus sign in front of the uh, <laughs> the old temperature, you you put on that hat, and it's good to have the right layers and the right gear for sure. It makes a huge difference, and you know we had a lot of
0: fun. We both ended up with birds,
1: and you know the
0: the dog had a blast. No pun intended there, but we had a really good time, and we're going to hopefully make it one more time before the new year. But it's just so fun to get out there, even though it was brutal cold and kind of miserable we had a blast we had a lot of fun and we got to shoot some birds and we get to make something so i don't know what you're doing with yours but my pheasant we're gonna make a, a pheasant paprikash which is something i've never done but it's in uh one of hank shaw's books so i was like you know what we're gonna try that see if it's any good and you know go from there but i'm i'm excited to try it man i'm i'm totally amped
1: I've been stuck on pheasant marsala for about four years <laughs> now, and <laughs> I'll tell you what it's uh, e Either w- I really like wild rice, just rice aroni, wild rice rice aroni, and then you pound out the. Uh, I think they call them collets, right? Maybe sure. I'm I'm not the I'm not Mister Buck Buck Boost, <laughs> but uh, I take a can and roll the the uh, breasts flat so they're the same Mm. uniform thickness and then i just follow the pheasant marsala recipe and pour pour mushroom sauce over top of a breaded warm fried filet on top of rice and then add some broccoli steamed broccoli with butter it's it's one of the top two or three recipes sounds pretty good it's uh, i'll eat i'll founder on that for sure yeah i'm gonna have to
0: come back and tell you guys what i think of this paprikash dish but i've i've heard good things about that particular dish it's kind of like an indian dish so i'm excited to try it i'm going to see if it's any good and hopefully david and i'll harvest a few more birds before it's all said
1: and done you need to do a wyoming uh, turf and turf with some uh, elk backstrap you know on the barbecue sliced thinly right next to your paprikash you know what i was thinking
0: about is doing some of our alaskan salmon there you You go a a true radcast surf and surf and turf yeah get get some alaskan salmon some cow elk and have a a party yeah (laughs) get get a little bit from the air land and sea i guess um but yeah i mean we we have options in the freezer which is pretty cool isn't it
1: you need to add a little walleye to that and then i think you have Mm. the the the, the tri-quadra oh man all four quadrants of plate protein 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 One little piece of broccoli separating all four of them. And there's nothing better than walleye, really. I mean, in (laughs) Wyoming anyway. And it is the time of year to go do that. So I think we've kind of covered, you know, bow spider for sure. Get out there, get get your hunting done. BowSpider.com,
0: go check them out. Especially if you're going to get into archery this next year and you want a better way to carry your bow, you better do that.
1: And then, you know, high mountain seasoning, once you get into that bow hunting and get successful, you're going to need to season that meat. Mm-hmm. And or then, if you're fishing, you might need to brine, brine your fillets and smoke them. So. Well, I was going to go with uh, once your tag's filled. You know, hunting is oh, done. Yeah. You got to go fishing, right? So Absolutely. you might as well get some PK lures and finish out the season with some ice fishing. And guys, seriously, it is that time of
0: year. You got to try them out. If you haven't yet, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how I can convince you,
1: but go to their Facebook page. Seriously, check out that big wallet. It's pretty cool. Uh, we work with really cool sponsors. Mm, We've got we really cool products. In fact, we're doing a really big, cool giveaway on our socials with all our sponsors gear this this next little bit. So, you know, wherever you're listening to this link over to the socials and get, get signed up for the giveaway. I think there's $500 worth of swag. So there's a lot there.
0: So there's PK lures, a variety of spoons, crankbaits, jigs, all kinds of stuff. The spin jig. There's a few in there. Those are awesome this time of year through the ice, tip it with a minnow. And then, you know, bow spider, you got a heck of a nice hoodie in there. I mean, I want that hoodie. I mean, that hoodie is sweet. There's a, and there's some hats, some shirts, mugs, glasses, I mean, some high mountain seasoning to, to jerky kits, fish, brine seasonings, you name it, it's in there. So yeah, go check us out on the socials. You can sign up for that giveaway and hopefully you win it. I mean, it's, it's a nice little package. I know some people have won some of our previous packages, reached out to me and said, this was really, really cool. I got to use all this great stuff. So, and that's kind of the point, right? Like we want to promote the people who help make this podcast possible. And it's all gear that we use all the time. Like (laughs) I'm using high mountain seasonings all the time. I'm using PKs all the time and you're using Bow Spider all the time. So it's not like we're just, you know, getting a deal from somebody to sell their stuff and we don't actually believe in it like we use this stuff all the time
1: and we love it we do so definitely uh make sure when you're on those adventures take a kid either fishing or hunting with you make time to do that and teach your
0: kids like if you and and don't overlook your daughters you know my my daughters are very excited about the prospect of hunting now, after processing that cow elk, which is exciting to me, you know, because when I was a kid, hunting was something I was like super into, and
1: and they're old enough now. You can you could start with a doe antelope right behind your house, Patrick. Oh yeah, I mean, and if you're out there. I don't care which one of the states you're in. There's going to be a youth hunting opportunity for your kids somewhere. I mean, I I remember Colorado, Oregon, Alaska. They all Wyoming. They all have either a kids fishing weekend, a free fishing weekend. They all have youth seasons. It's rabbit not, hunting, squirrel hunting. Like there's always something. And if you don't know where to start, I would say start with hunter safety. And go with your kid and ask questions and say, hey, where do we start? How do we start? This is, you know, Patrick and I were fortunate that our dads kind of started at five. And, you know, our kids are fortunate that they're getting that same knowledge. But if you're 35 or 55 or 95 and you're listening to this and you think you might want to try it, I would start with your hunter safety class, you know, and then move on from there and ask questions. And it's it's not impossible.
0: And it's so rewarding when you actually harvest and you get to enjoy all that with your family. that's pretty, pretty special. That's something that I've been just relishing over the last week of processing, you know, just watching the kids enjoy it and, and be interested in it. And getting to do it again was good too. It's been a bit. So
1: big game hunting is definitely uh there's, there's a higher gear, requirement and there's a pretty good level of commitment and there's a lot of work if you're successful, but totally worth it. Freezers are full with cow elk meat. And, <laughs> and I already told good. you we had chili and stew and now there's going to be charcuterie and there's the sky's the limit when you have yeah. that kind of meat. So And I will tell you that pronghorn antelope still
0: my favorite, but I'll tell you this cow elk is really good. And the tacos
1: and the chili that we had. Awesome. I, I kind of har- harken back to the days of, I wish we had bison everywhere, 30 million of them and I I'd go get a bison, but could you imagine oh, the traffic jams and <laughs> bison don't care about fences. The they just go right through them. The, <laughs> yeah. We don't, we don't need elephants on the North American continent and you know, wild free ranging bison is probably not the greatest idea. Yeah. But some th-
0: I, I do wonder about that sometimes, how cool it'd be to have more access to hunt bison, but.
1: I do love bison meat. That's some of the best stuff that you'll eat. It is superior meat. Well, we'll have to get you in on a bison tag and we'll go bison hunting next. How about that? Well, maybe you might be able to twist my arm. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, guys, I think, uh, you know, we, we could chat about pheasant hunting and cow elk hunting and, and making protein snacks all night long. But I think the point is don't forget about
0: the late season hunting opportunities. Get your kids involved have fun, and uh, you know hopefully you guys can do this this next year. you know, maybe go out and get a cow elk maybe go out on a late season pheasant hunt and freeze your face off but uh it's a lot of fun you just got to get outside and enjoy it while you still have the ability. That's the way I was to, I told you that while we were hunting, you know it's nice to to have the ability to be out there
1: and be able to do that and and I told you while we were there that you know we could have not taken the horses. but I'm getting old enough now that I don't got to prove anything to anybody. We, and we had the opportunity to potentially put two elk on the ground at the same time. And at that point in time, I knew I wanted the horses there. So, right.
0: No, it worked out perfectly and there's a family that's really going to enjoy it. You know, the meat's going to be, your family's already started to enjoy it. Had a little bit. Share that. Yep. Share the wealth. And so it's pretty special. And, uh, yeah it just meant a lot to me so thanks again for for taking the day and taking me up there and letting dan carry part of my elk and yeah. <laughs> dan your the horses man. your horses are awesome so and hopefully you know we can do this again next season i i i'm gonna put in again so we'll see
1: well everybody else put in in montana they got lots of elk up there. <laughs> there there's no elk in wyoming <laughs> go go to colorado Uh,
0: All right, guys. Well, until next time, we'll come back with another episode of Radcast Outdoors. Thanks again for listening to the Radcast Outdoors podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. If so, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and give us a five-star rating, which really helps other people find the show. You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more At ragcastoutdoors.com While you're there Please help support the show By purchasing a Ragcast Outdoors shirt Or hat Please don't forget to follow us On Facebook and Instagram We also have a Ragcast community on Facebook Called Ragcast Nation And we'd love for you to join In the conversation there And of course Please help support our sponsors Who make this show possible Thank you again to PK Lures Bow Spider And High Mountain Seasonings Until next time Get out there and enjoy the outdoors.